look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, Thanksgiving edition. I think you'll enjoy the pod this week. And if you're going somewhere, or even if you're just staying home and in this sort of odd year for Thanksgiving, really hope you get to listen to this podcast, particularly uh, my conversation with Alex Smith. As many of you know, uh, the Washington quarterback two years ago was in significant trouble. His life and his right leg, which was very nearly amputated. You'll hear the story here. And you'll hear, reason I wanted to have him on this week is that I know Alex Smith. He doesn't um, lie around feeling sorry for himself. And he certainly didn't when that happened. So it's been two years since that, uh, since that moment. And he wants everyone to have a happy Thanksgiving and I know he's going to have one as well. Also this week, Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, I'll tell you the story about how Juju Smith-Schuster is on this show. One of my uh, co-workers at NBC Sports, Tess Quinlan, um, who a long time ago I coached on a girls' softball team in Montclair, New Jersey, said, you know, hey, we got the dog show on this year. The National Dog Show, which is Thursday at noon Eastern on NBC. And maybe you could get Juju Smith-Schuster because he's got this really cute dog, uh, this French bulldog named Bougie, and maybe he could come on and talk about the dog show. (laughs) So I started to think, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Then I said, eh, why not? Let's try to get Juju Smith-Schuster on to talk about Bougie and the dog show. And so, therefore, I did, and he said yes. (laughs) So you'll hear Juju. uh, In fact, uh, there's going to be video floating around uh, of a a shot of Juju's French bulldog, who has, by the way, over 200,000 Instagram followers, Bougie the dog. Uh, so we have a good conversation with Juju Smith-Schuster and also about how much he really wants uh, to go undefeated with this Steeler team. So you'll hear from Alex Smith and Juju Smith-Schuster. We're putting the podcast out a little bit early this week just because, you know, uh, there's no real reason to wait. I had both of these conversations done, and I thought maybe you would uh, – uh, you you might want to hear these conversations early this week in a holiday week. But before I start, you know, I just want to tell you just a little bit about how the sausage is made in my job and, and then a little bit about uh, a conversation I had on Sunday night uh, that sort of led me to to write the column that I wrote this week, my Football Morning in America column. You know, as many of you know, read my column. Uh, I talk to people on the phone during the day and try to do some stories about uh, stuff that was hot that day in the NFL. And just it so happened that in week 11, I thought that the lead of my column was probably going to be about uh, Taysom Hill of the New Orleans Saints starting his first game after being on the Saints for more than three years. Uh, And so I got Taysom Hill to talk about it, and Sean Payton, the coach of the Saints. They were both very good. So I was sitting down to to write it, and on Sunday night, as I was was writing, I had the TV on mute because 
I'm an old man now and I don't deal well with distractions while I'm trying to write. And so I kept looking up and man, did that look like a great football game. So I stopped writing early in the third quarter and I just started watching this game. I was transfixed by it. As so many of you, I bet were the, the Las Vegas, Kansas City game where uh, Kansas City in the uh, second half of this game came back from deficits of 17-14, uh, 24-21, and 31-28. I think I got those. And they kept coming back because I believe we are watching right now the Michael Jordan of the NFL. In fact, I had a little headline on my piece in the column, we are watching Jordan. So I texted the two PR people of the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Ted Cruz and, and Brad G. And I said, if there's any way I can get Mahomes afterwards, if you guys win, I'd love to be able to talk to him. So, you know, you have to know in this business, don't ask for Patrick Mahomes very often, you know, maybe two or three times a year at most. And so they were very good to me afterwards. Uh, obviously, the Chiefs win the game 35-31, and they get me Mahomes for eight minutes before he's going to run out of Vegas, get on the plane to go back to Kansas City. And what I found so interesting is what I always find out of Mahomes. Mahomes does not mail in these little conversations because he knows that, I think he knows that I like the little inside what really happened, you know, during these drives. So I asked him about this final drive and, and essentially you know, right at the end of the game. You know, I want to know what really, really happened in the game. And so I asked him, so on that that final timeout, what exactly happened uh, when you were driving with uh, less than a minute to go, uh, maybe 30 or 35 seconds left, they've got second and seven, and the ball is on the Vegas 22, and uh, they call their final timeout. Mahomes goes to the sidelines, and, and he's got a play in mind that he absolutely wants to run. He goes to the sidelines, and, and he sees Eric Bieniemy, his offensive coordinator, and he says, hey, there's a play I really want to run. He tells him what the play is, and Bieniemy goes, well, that's good. That's good. But what about this one? And he tells them the play that they ended up running, and Mahomes said, hey, I, I like that play a lot. And as he said to me afterwards, he said, you know, that's what I really love about our offense, that they take my ideas, I take their ideas, I'm out there, and uh, I, I respect the fact that they say, well, what do you think? Because he's, you know, I'm, I'm out there kind of in the, in the battle. And so he went from the idea that he had really liked to the idea that they liked. And he said, okay, let's run that one. <clears throat> and the reason why this play works so well, and the reason why the Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid, really wanted to call this play, is that if you can envision a football field, which is 53 yards wide, the great strength of having Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback is that he has the arm to reach anyone across the 53 yards in front of him. So they put four receivers out, it's almost equidistant from each other, running down the field. And so what that does is it takes the secondary, it takes the defense back, um, and, and, it, and it takes them off the line of scrimmage so that now Mahomes, if he can get a little bit of daylight out there, and just really look and see who is the most open. You know, he's he said, I'm confident enough in myself that I'm going to be able to get it to him. But the reason especially why this play worked is that Mahomes made a couple of steps toward the line of scrimmage. Like he was, like he might try to run for this. And he might try to make 
those seven yards. And then maybe after they uh, clocked it, spiked the ball to, to stop the clock, maybe there'd be 20 seconds to go. They'd be at the 15 or 12 yard line or something. And he'd have another, another opportunity. So what happened is two of the Raider defenders came up to pressure him because they thought that he was going to be running. That left Travis Kelsey absolutely alone, wide open in the end zone. He flicked the ball to him, line drive, just like he was the old shortstop, Patrick Mahomes, uh, completing a double play, throwing the ball across his body and uh, making a perfect throw to first base. That's what he used to do. And it looked so easy, but it wasn't easy. It was complicated. And and as he told me afterwards, and I'm going to quote him right here, he goes, you know, that play, that situation, those are the moments competitors love. Those are the moments you dream of. Honestly, I dreamed of nights like that when I was a kid. So, you know, a lot of times you, you wonder – uh, maybe with sports writers, ah, you know what? They're really prejudiced sort towards certain teams, and or they might really like certain teams. And yeah, I'm really not. I root for my story, honestly, uh, and I root for good stories. But I must say that one of the things that I've enjoyed about getting to know Patrick Mahomes is just how much he loves this and how much he wants to be great. Um, and you can tell why you don't hear any of these bad things about Patrick Mahomes. It, you know, he's almost, he's almost to me getting kind of a Ripken type of reputation where uh, everything you hear about him is positive and man, he wants to win so much. I don't know. I just thought I would tell you that story. It's a little bit of how I do my job, and it's a little bit inside of what I think of Patrick Mahomes and, and why I think, uh, you know, I used to say to my daughter, Laura, uh, that I was never going to allow her to root for somebody in sports. She grew up, she was a kid. She's 30, mid-30s now. But when she was a kid, I used to say to her, I'm never going to let you root for a bad person, you know, when you are a fan of somebody. So she said she started to just love Cal Ripken. For her birthday one year, she wanted to go and see the Orioles play. And so I took her to Camden Yards and, and all that. So uh, I remember uh, I had to make a phone call to somebody who I knew who covered the Orioles. And I said, hey, I just want to make sure that if – I get my daughter a Ripken poster and we put it up on her wall that I'm not going to have to rip it down one day because he's really behind the scenes a jerk. And uh, my friend told me, no, 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 no. Ripken's good. He said, that's a, that's a, that's a good poster to have in the room. So we got her the poster. She had it up probably for a year and then she moved on to somebody else or, you know, some, some other singer or athlete or whatever. But uh, I often will say to people now, hey, what do you think of Mahomes or what do you think of Brady or what do you think of any of these guys? I'll, I say, I said, I think you can feel comfortable in putting the poster Mahomes up uh, in your kid's room <laughs> if it ever comes to that. But anyway, I just thought I would tell you that story. I thought it was kind of a cool one. And uh, let's get to our conversations now. We're going to start with sort of a conversation uh, because I happen to love Thanksgiving and I wanted to call and check in with Alex Smith to see whether he had the same kind of love for Thanksgiving because two years ago, it was right around the Thanksgiving holiday that his life very nearly changed forever and not for the better. So let's uh, check in with Alex Smith, who I caught up with last Friday on his way home from work uh, as a member of the Washington football team. For those who really don't know the Alex Smith story, 
I'm just going to recap it for a minute and bore Alex to tears as he uh, is listening right now. But on November 18th, 2018, Alex Smith was sacked in a game against the Houston Texans. And he suffered on that sack with what's called a uh, spiral and compound fracture of both the tibia and fibula in his right leg. He had 17 surgeries to combat sepsis and a flesh-eating bacteria that threatened not only uh, to, to have his leg amputated, but which threatened the life of Alex Smith. And uh, Alex rehabbed uh, in part at the Center for the Intrepid, which uh, often treats wounded combat veterans. That is how serious his leg injury was. Uh, but the story is having a happy ending at this point. He replaced the injured Kyle Allen uh, for Washington on October 11th, played part of that game. And then he made his first start back uh, almost two years to the day at Detroit for Washington uh, at Detroit. And uh, Alex, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. And I'm I just can't tell you uh, how, you know, incredible your story is. And I know that everybody tells you that all the time, but I wonder if you get reminded of it on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, Peter. Um, yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, every day I, every day I wake up, uh, although it's obviously more and more normal as the day goes on, I'm, I'm at my first step out of bed. I am, uh, reminded obviously of, of, uh, the, you know, the consequences, uh, and repercussions obviously of what happened, you know, and I, you know, obviously had the break and, and, you know, more importantly, the infection after, uh, that, that kind of caused all this. So yeah, I'm, I'm reminded on a daily basis, you know, like I said, it, it's uh, clear every day when I get out of bed and I put my foot down, um, you know, that, that, that life for me is forever changed. Um, you know, and then on some days more than others, two days ago was, was, uh, in the military, as they call it, my alive day, uh, two years to the day, you know, uh, when, when I, when I did break my leg, you know, mine military uses that term the alive day you know obviously resulting from from an incident in war usually you know my mine happened to come from uh jj watt uh so yeah some days more than others certainly it was really special to be out there uh this last sunday and and to start a game um playing quarterback in the nfl is something that i you know even as hard as i've worked and in my deepest of dreams i you know i wasn't ever sure was ever going to happen again and and uh thankful for that so so yeah a lot in a lot of ways good and bad reminded of of that day and obviously life moving forward alex i think probably a lot of people who are listening to this and just so that everyone knows we're recording this six days before thanksgiving friday november 20 uh and on thanksgiving obviously washington will be playing at dallas um, so that is how Alex Smith will be spending his Thanksgiving this year. But I want to I wanna just try to get into your head a little bit about what this all has been like from sort of a mental standpoint. One of the things that, that probably most people would think, Alex Smith, you've made $194 million in your career. You're 36 years old. And in the first time that you played football after this incident happened, you're playing the Los Angeles Rams. And there's one play where Aaron Donald basically hops on your back and is just trying to drill you into the ground. And I just am thinking to myself at this time, man, retire, please, please. <laughs> you know. So what is it? that drives you to continue to do this um you know i it, it it wasn't like early on there when i was you know stuck in a in a hospital bed or even confined to a wheelchair it, it wasn't like at that point you know i was sitting there adamant that i was going to go play again 
um, you know, I, I was thinking about walking. I was thinking about, you know, playing with my kids. I was wondering about the, obviously the rest of my life with my family and what that would be like. Um, you know, there's been so many people I feel like that have invested in me in these last two years. And there's been so many people that I've, that have come before me that I've been the beneficiary of, um, in the military, uh, especially, um, you know, and, and for me, it's always been eyeing that next step. And, and for me that, you know, for a long time, the first step was just literally that, uh, you know, walking, um, and then going forward from there onto the next task. And, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm an old dinosaur in, in the football world, you know, at 36, but in, in the spectrum of life, you know, I, I, I got a lot ahead of me, at least I hope I do. And, and, uh, for me, it was really about finding out what, what I do have left and if I have limitations, what those are. And, and I spent a long time, you know, in, in a negative space when I couldn't do anything, you know, when I was stuck on a, on a walker uh, with a, you know, an external fixator bolted to my leg. There was a long time I wondered what I'd ever be able to do again. And just sitting and thinking about that. And a lot of times, obviously, that, that doubt creeps in. And then all of a sudden, I got to kind of start slowly I got to start doing things and I got I got a I got a chance to take some of those things head on and it felt amazing to try and do that and one you know conquering one task led uh to wanting to conquer the next and I and I don't see how I could stop going um you know faced with this challenge and certainly as they I'm, I'm obviously incredibly lucky that they have continued to progress and I still feel like they are uh but I don't understand I don't see how I could stop uh, trying to take those down. And, and certainly the last big one for me was, was coming back and playing quarterback at the NFL level. As scary as that is, uh, even for myself for a long time. Um, you know, I got young kids and, and uh, they see everything you do. And certainly it was a great reminder for me every day to, uh, you know, how to attack each day and certainly uh, faced with this adversity, how I was going to, how I was going to uh, treat it. What kind of attitude and mindset was I going to have? When you get under center now, do you have any different emotion running through you? Does fear ever enter into your thinking at all compared to October 2018 as a quarterback? Yeah, you know, uh, just to say this, obviously there's there's an element. In football, there's real repercussions. I mean, it's a physical game, and, and uh, there's always been that element even before this injury, and that's part of what is amazing about football is playing on that edge, um, that feeling of being alive, because to some extent, the repercussions are real. Um, you know, obviously, the importance of every game and every play is, is so big and so heightened that the range of emotions you get playing the game, it's, it, it's intoxicating. You know, and really that's also part of the reason I, I wanted to come back and see if I could, you know, when things had progressed. But but going back to the Rams game, you know, no doubt, I it had been two years since I'd been hit. And the last time I did, I, my leg broke. And I just spent, you know, the, the previous almost two years doing everything I could to protect my leg, you know. And, and then all of a sudden now I'm running, I'm running out onto the field. Uh, to play tackle football again but uh so there was certainly an element there of of you know those first tackles the one you said you know Aaron Donald jumping on my back how how was that how was I going to handle that and uh you know that how was did you how did you hand, how did you handle it <laughs> I didn't know it was I didn't know it was Aaron at the time I was very cognizant that a, a human being was on my back at that point <laughs> uh and how surreal that was that was basically my first tackle like the first time getting hit was basically that that sack and uh I guess if there's a, a way to test your leg what better way than that kind of like ripping the band-aid off he, so, did he say anything to you no I had no idea at that point who it was it wasn't tough for the game I you know friends had shot me the picture of it and Obviously, I don't know if that's ever happened to me in 16 years of, you know, football, but all of a sudden, you know, the playback, it happens. So, but that, for me, there was a definite step, you know, that, that first playing time with, against, uh, against the Rams um, was a step for me because definitely my next, you know, when I got to play against the Giants, my, my next time out uh, was very different. I, I definitely felt like I'd moved beyond that, 
as far as that was, it wasn't even in my mindset. It was really going out and executing and playing well. Um, and then even more so this, this last week, you know, going out there and starting as the Lions as, as another step, you know, now with the whole week of preparation and, and being the starter and, and felt really comfortable out there. Uh, no apprehension at all. Um, you know, being out there, I felt like I'm uh, moving well, really comfortable back there, seeing things and, and obviously being able to play, play the game at this level. You were injured on November 18th of 2018, four days later. It was Thanksgiving. Yep. You were in the hospital and you were yep. starting to be in some significant trouble. I yep. watched the E60 story, so I know I know the story. So do you have many or any recollections about Thanksgiving 2018? Yeah, uh, Thanksgiving, I think for, for my wife and family and I will always, well, I think we'll think of this, uh, certainly the injury um always around that so yeah thanksgiving is a big day because i was really hoping to be discharged the the afternoon before thanksgiving um you know i'd had my surgery everything had gone well they said and and so i i, I had to stay a couple of days before being discharged as was just normal procedure um and so i was really hoping to go home that wednesday afternoon and be discharged and two years ago ironically we were playing the dallas cowboys at dallas two years ago. So I was really going, hoping to go home and uh, be able to watch the game, spend Thanksgiving at home with my family. And our team doctor, Dr. West, who had left with the team uh, to go to Dallas for the game that, that, that same Wednesday, she had swung by right before the team left to, to see me. And that's when I was still kind of, I was in some pain and still had like a, a very, very mild fever. And she really talked me into staying one more night, you know, you know, what, what was, you know, for her, it was, it was kind of like, what's the, what's the rush? Let's just stay one more night. Why not? You can go home early in the morning. And thankfully she did talk us into that because it was that night when things got bad, when my blood pressure dropped and fever spiked and, and I really lost consciousness. Um, and then obviously they, they realized that I had had a serious, had a serious infection. So I was thankful for her uh, advice. Yeah. And she turned around and, and flew back uh, the next day because I, I went into emergency surgery um, that was my first debridement, they call it. And uh, I went into You went emergency to emergency surgery, surgery on Thanksgiving that, 2018. Yeah, I, I was out of it. I'd have to check to check. It was either yeah. Wednesday night or early Thursday morning, uh, early, early Thursday morning on Thanksgiving Day that I went in for my first surgery, my first debridement. Uh, like I said, I was pretty out of it at this point. It was all a fog. But I went in for basically almost a week straight of debridements and surgeries. Um, and then I was... And then from there, they'd go every other day. It basically went that way for almost two weeks of, of trying to get the infection under control. So that's really when things changed. Yeah, Thanksgiving two years ago is really when, uh, obviously, uh, yeah, like I said, my life, life forever changed. So you don't really have fond memories of that Thanksgiving, do you? Well, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, it's no, but the, in my head, it's like I said, I was out of it. Obviously, things changed. I, you know, we lived in the hospital for a month. Um, you know, uh, spent think my whole family in there for Thanksgiving. We had, <laughs> was lucky enough, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Snyder had, you know, sent us a bunch of Thanksgiving dinner into the, into the hospital. And we, you know, my family and I were able to, well, they were, I remember this part of it, that, you know, trying to enjoy it, obviously, before things went sideways. Um, and so, yeah, but we lived there for a month. So there's also a lot of weird memories for me. I was stuck in the, in the, in the hospital bed and, um, you know, lucky enough that I had a lot of family around every single day that was there and, and obviously a uh, wife by my side. So um, not, not negative memories, but certainly something I'll never forget. What's so interesting about reliving that with you through the documentary, which was really, really done well. And not only that, but it was so good that you chose to do it because now there is a roadmap for people who have incredibly difficult injuries like this. But what was so interesting is that your family was really, really tough through this process. And your wife asking Dr. West at one point, if you were me, would you basically support amputation of my husband's leg? And she said, yes. Yep. And, and you got, and you still fought it. And obviously that, that was the, that was the right decision to make. But 
I wonder now with the benefit of time and history, as you approach this Thanksgiving, what are you thankful for? Um, yeah, it's gosh, so tough to, uh, so tough to, you know, put into to words. Um, I think certainly first and foremost, uh, you know, grateful for my health right now and my family's health, my kids, my wife, you know, my extended family and friends and loved ones, uh, certainly grateful and thankful for their health and, uh, obviously wishing anybody that is going through it, um, you know, any kind of illness or, or pain, uh, you know, obviously wishing them recovery and, uh, you know, peace of mind. Um, you know, I, you realize looking back what a privileged life and I still obviously how privileged the life I, I lead and, and, and certainly led and, and that I'd never really faced anything. I had never really faced uh, a challenge like that. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, to have a partner by my side with, in my wife, you know, I was out of it. Like I said, when things got really scary and, and certainly amputation was, uh, right on the doorstep right there. And, and, you know, even probably hours away from it at one point, um, and she know, had and she, to make some decisions for you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And her and the doctors dealing with that all and, and, uh, doing that, um, you know, thankful for her and, and, uh, you know, to be juggling three kids and, and then, and then the, the two years afterward, when I was in different states of helplessness, uh, you know, that, that her strength through all of that is, is something that obviously I'm, I'm incredibly thankful and grateful for. Um, you know, and, and uh, I think, that, you know, the things that are most important to you are going, I mean, obviously my, my kids are so special to me, um, you know, being able to play with them. I'm so thankful that, that, that I can do that every day that I get to go play with them and, and, you know, whatever it is, um, enjoy being with them and, and that they're healthy. And, you know, that I get to, at this point, I, it's still so surreal to me that I get to lace up cleats and put a helmet on. And yeah, I got to wear this brace to do it. But how how uh, amazing it is uh, that you know that every day I get to go do this, and and how awesome that is that that things have progressed this far. And and obviously I'm uh, incredibly thankful because uh, I'm I'm just lucky in that way. Just I I just got lucky in that sense in the recovery that things kept progressing and and that I I get to do this still. I have three quick questions for you. Number one is, who's the most memorable? What's the most memorable message you got through this whole trial? Who's the person who reached out who either surprised you or who, whose advice or help was hugely important to you that might be a little bit of a surprise to people? Um, you know, gosh, that's such a great question. Cause I, there were a couple things that, that, that really meant a lot to me. And, and certainly that, that month in the hospital when I was there and, and then even the, the, you know, months after when things were really tough and I was in a wheelchair, uh, you know, I had so many people reach out to me, whether it be phone calls or texts or, or emails or just wishes and people, especially the unexpe unexpected person, you know, uh, that, that reached out and just let me know that they were, they were thinking about me. Um, and how much that meant to me, uh, in those days, you know, and just a random day to get a random text message, uh, of someone, you know, wishing me well, or thinking about me and how much that meant to me, uh, through those hard times. And really uh, it was such a great teaching tool for me to be a better, uh, friend, um, you know, to those around me, you know, because we, we don't know how to handle those. Those situations are hard when you're on the outside. Um, looking in and, and, and I, you know, for me, it's always wondering what are the right words or the right thing to say. And, and really there is no right thing to say. And it's just saying something sometimes or being there, you know, and, and how much I appreciated that. Um, I did really appreciate, uh, you know, when, when it was dark and like you said, there was no roadmap for me. Um, having the, the consultation and expertise of the center for the intrepid throughout that process. Um, it was amazing. Dr. Alderetti down there who, who ran the center and, and uh, has been integral uh, the entire, throughout the entire process for me coming back 
Johnny Owens, who was the head PT down there and certainly coordinated a lot of my physical therapy here uh, back in Virginia with my physical therapist, Seth Lee. Um, you know, that, that those guys that, that, that continue to inspire me. And I watched so many videos of uh, servicemen and women going through the rehab and what I was going to get to do and the steps and the process. And uh, it certainly gave me a lot of hope and, and visualization. Um, and I spent countless hours watching those videos, uh, hoping to one day have my turn to do it. So that, that, that really helped me and helped inspire me. When, when Patrick Mahomes was emerging as a really good player for Kansas City after you left, yep. I remember having a conversation with his dad, Pat Mahomes, the longtime Major League Baseball player. And he said to me about you, Patrick can never repay Alex for what Alex did for his career. <laughs> and when you hear something like that, what do you think? I mean, here's a guy who was drafted to take your job, you know, and yep. you were about as gracious as anyone could be. And as it has turned out, obviously he is what he is. He's one of the biggest stars in the game. And I wonder, you look back at that, what's the lesson of your relationship with Patrick Mahomes? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think I really, you know, as being a, a early pick, uh, and a young quarterback playing and, and understanding how hard it is, how hard of a situation and, and it is, and it's tough. Um, and I remember why, you know, obviously having, I, I felt like I had a tough road, certainly as a young player and, and not wishing that on anybody, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you remember, I remember being a young guy and you get drafted, you have no control over where you're going or the situation you go into, um, you know. And so for me, it was immediately also, I think, going to the bigger thing, the special thing about football and certainly team sports in general are those relationships of being in the locker room and, and finding out pretty quick that, yeah, a lot of times media wants to pit you against each other, especially guys in the same room and, and quarterbacks and things like that. But... Um, it doesn't have to be like that, that, that his trajectory uh, and career and mine aren't pitted against each other, you know, and, and then, and then the ultimate thing, to be honest, coming down to it is, is, is Pat obviously is a great teammate and was a great teammate coming in as a rookie. He was an awesome, awesome kid. He was, came in every day. It was a ton of fun to work with. He competed uh, exactly what you want. And so, uh I think that it's just as much him and his part of the relationship as me. And then, and then obviously I feel like a lot of that's been over overworked. I, I certainly wish I could run to my left and fling a ball, no look, <laughs> no, no look back across the field. I certainly wish I could say that I taught, I taught Pat some of that stuff, but uh, a lot of that pretty innate. And certainly there's a lot of people uh, there that, you know, as a quarterback to have an impact on your success and, and, uh, you know, Pat's hard work and preparation as well. I mean, he was a kid that came in every day. He beat me in there every morning as a young kid and, and uh, worked hard and kept his head down. And, and uh, obviously, I, I, it's, hard, it's hard to come up with enough good things to say about him. I think not just as a player, but as a person. He's a special kid, um, a special, special person to have that, that kind of success as a young player. And I think to, to be as grounded as he is, um, is, is really unique in, in this profession. Are your children ever afraid when you go to work on a Sunday? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Kids, kids are funny in that way. Uh, but even my family, you know, it's so funny. I played, you know, you play in the Rams game and it was my first time coming back and it was, you know, it was messy for anybody who didn't see it. The second half was pouring rain and it was really sloppy um not not what you envision as your first time back and uh but anyway I came home and you know my family obviously very pumped my wife and kids very really excited for me and uh you know a little celebration that night even though we got our butts kicked uh you know and it was bittersweet for me because I knew that it, it was a sloppy but you know that was kind of my family's reaction and then fast forward a couple of weeks when we kind of I felt like we all put the whole uh you know tackling thing behind us 
and then I played in the Giants game and, you know, had some success and, and thought we had a chance to come back and win that. And then I threw a really poor – I threw two really poor interceptions late that cost us the game. And I come home and and both my wife and oldest son are both like, who are you, who are you throwing to at the end of that game? Like, <laughs> like what what were you thinking? And, and like, how quickly, you know, two weeks you – know, I think it was only two weeks later – and I'm like, what, what happened to the family that was just so happy I was playing? And all of a sudden, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, demanding the expectations. But that I mean that in a good way. So, yeah, and, and certainly my kids, uh, they, they love Sundays. Sundays are special to them, and, and uh, they're huge fans and, and love playing. So, but, yeah, that's what – we're back to that now. We're back to, uh, you know, demanding, demanding results. <laughs> so, the game on Thursday, you will play in Dallas – I would assume family Thanksgiving dinner, I, I guess, on Friday this year. Yeah, yeah, you, you kind of bump everything to Friday and, and uh, you know, we'll get back late that night and, and uh, do it all Friday, so. How do you think your – what will be the emotions when you guys all sit down to dinner as a family that day? Well, they'll be better if we win, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, everything's better with a win. Um, no, but I think, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, is, uh, continuing to see the big picture, um, you know, being grateful. Well, there's so many things that to be thankful and grateful for, uh, for us. And, uh, I think keeping perspective is, is important, um, especially in the, in this profession and especially when you're in the thick of it, you know, and, and, uh, keeping perspective in life. And so I think, uh, this is obviously what, what Thanksgiving's about is that, 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 that exercise, you know, hopefully we're all doing it more than once a year, um, you know, and, and uh, reminding ourselves of how many great things we do have in our life. You know, 2020 has been a bizarre year. And, and uh, so, but still, still a lot to be thankful for. So, yeah, that, that'll certainly be uh, our expect, expectation. And, and uh, you know, like I said, it, it, will, it will be better with a, with a win, though. Alex Smith, I really appreciate you taking all the time. I kept you far too long. I appreciate your graciousness, and uh, good luck. Peter, thank you. And now my conversation, which is going to be, it's going to start off a little choppy because I wanted to see Juju Smith-Schuster's dog, the French bulldog, uh, Bougie, and I actually showed him my dog, Chuck. Uh, recording from my apartment in Brooklyn. And uh, so you, I'm sorry you won't be able to see Bougie and you won't be able to see Chuck, but I mean, hey, go on my Instagram page and, and go on his and you'll see a lot of Bougie, but on my Instagram page, uh, Peter King 8 uh, which is my Instagram account, uh, go on my Instagram page and you'll see a lot of Chuck. But uh, here's uh, my conversation, uh, which I recorded on Monday with Juju Smith-Schuster of the 10-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, we're recording. Uh, is Bougie anywhere in sight? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's around. Okay, when he comes around, we're just going to want to see him. Uh, want to see him right at the beginning? And then we'll, and then he can just go, or do you want to bring him in at some point? Okay, yeah, I'll bring him right on. Bougie, come here. All right. Hey, Chuck, come here. Come here, Chuck. Oh, Bougie. All right, uh, hang on one second. All right. Juju, say hi to Chuck. What's up, Chuck? <laughs> That's awesome. How old is Chuck's Chuck? our little rescue golden retriever. Uh, that's awesome. How, how old is he? He's five. Uh, sorry, yeah, Bougie's three years old. Yeah. Bougie has 236,000 Instagram followers. Yeah, that's man. Pro- that's approximately 233,000 more than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Bougie's a, a famous uh, French bulldog in Pittsburgh, man. They love him. <laughs> Listen to him. Yeah, he's got a good voice. So, so Juju, I'm going to start by just asking you: Does you know you're ten and zero now with with the Steelers, and you've got this this great platform, and you have so much fun? But 
On Thursday, the National Dog Show is going to be held on NBC at noon before your game that night against the Baltimore Ravens. So I'm going to ask you, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Bougie win the National Dog Show or would you rather beat the Baltimore Ravens? Um, that's such a hard choice, man. Uh, <laughs> I love my dog to death, and, and him winning the National Dog Show would be awesome. Um, but it, it's rarely you ever get a Thursday night football. And me being in NFL for four years, I never had uh, a Thanksgiving uh, Thursday night football. So this is my first one. So I'm probably going to have to say the Baltimore Ravens. All right. I get that. Um, so, Juju, on Sunday in your game, Chase Claypool, your fellow receiver on the Steelers, scored a touchdown, and he did something in the end zone that nobody could figure out what in the world he was doing. Yeah, yeah. And then somebody finally found out, hey, wait a minute. It's Juju Smith-Schuster's birthday. Would you please explain what exactly happened in the end zone? Yeah, so basically uh, how it went down was uh... – they want the, the team wanted to come up with a, a situation where our, our receivers and our running backs and tight ends was like, yo, if we do a, if we score a touchdown today, we have to do a celebration for Juju's birthday. So I came up with the idea of like using a football as a candle, lighting it, and then obviously everybody's singing happy birthday to me and then just blowing it out. And I, I think it's pretty cool, unique, um, very different. But yeah, I turned 24 uh, this past Sunday. So uh, did, did your teammates really sing happy birthday in the end zone? They did. They did. They said. They just. They did it like really quick because we we knew we knew we had a short period of time for our celebration, uh, before we go. So yeah, that's got to be one of the craziest end zone celebrations in NFL history. Are you proud of it? No, I'm very very proud of it. I mean, I think it's pretty cool. You know, uh, to, to play on my birthday to, to beat the Jaguars, also go ten and zero. Um, there's so many cool things, uh, and like I said, it's just a, it's awesome just be, just to be a part of it and like to have them to play my brothers because uh, usually my family doesn't come out uh, just because of what's going on with COVID and plus uh, you know they're far they're far away they're in LA and I'm already out here so I think it was nice to have them around and play with them. You know what is really interesting about your team right now because obviously in the NFL things move so fast and teams change so quickly and you know when you got to the NFL. It was basically, you know, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon, Ben. Yep. It was a big, it was a big star team. And now you still have stars, but it's all new. And you guys are all young. All your receivers are 25 and younger. You know, you, Deontay Johnson and and Chase Claypool. I mean, the, the whole the whole group. So what has that been like kind of transforming from more of a veteran team? to now it's more of almost it's such a young team mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's so funny you say that just because you know 25 is obviously being the oldest and I, out of all the guys i'm probably the, the most vet you know i'm a veteran in the group just because you know the years i played on the team you know four years you know playing with ben and stuff like that and uh a coach he calls us the new young money uh we're young we're, we're, we're hungry we're, we're new so it's definitely for us it's, it's definitely different but you know i will tell you that's one thing about you know this team and you know me being on the previous team everybody on this team is is unselfish there's no way there's no there's no selfishness on who gets the ball who scores how many catches you have how many yards you have it's all about it's a team sport you know we and we win you know we went together we lose together and so far all we have been doing is winning you know, sometimes you can tell guys will say things like that, but sometimes when there's like a wide angle replay of a touchdown and you see who comes over to celebrate the touchdown and maybe there's one guy who doesn't come over, you know, you say, well, everybody says it's a team and I don't care who gets the glory, but this guy looks a little ticked off. He's not getting the ball, but there's been a couple of times this year where Chase Claypool, who's obviously this kind of breakout star, mm -hmm. makes a big play or scores a big touchdown, and you are sprinting to get to Chase Claypool, you know, to celebrate with him. So why are you that way, and what is it about your team that makes you guys this way? Uh, you know, for myself, I've always been a person to to cheer on everybody, you know, especially, you know, my teammates, you know, wishing nothing but the best for them. 
Um, I, I think in you know in my previous years we've always had uh, you know we always had a, a player who uh, felt different about you know when I scored or when other another person scored, and you know you can tell who's there who's there celebrating. You know we celebrate as a team. You know it's a team sport. So every time I see Chase, you know, a young rookie coming in, he's balling, you know, 10, 10, 10 games with 10 touchdowns, you know, as a, as a young rookie doing his thing. You know, I'm just so happy for him, you know. I'm happy for him, for his family. You know, he's he's come a long way. And, you know, we, we all come a long way uh, to get to where we're at today. So it's just a blessing and just enjoying every moment of it. Um, as a team, um, I think we've, this is the closest we've ever been. You know, I, our defense, our offense, you know, we talk hand-in-hand. We, we hype each other up. We give each other praises. And no matter how the game is going, uh, there's been situations where we we've been down on, on offense and we have to like come back and fight to win the game, but also our defense being able to stop the, uh, their offense and you know we we stick together you know as one. So um, you know we always say we're in this together. So uh, and that's just how we are as brothers. How'd you get to be such a dog person? Uh, with Bougie? Yeah. Oh man, dude! I moved all the way from LA, and I had no family here, and all my teammates had kids. Uh, and the, and then uh, obviously the rookies and new guys, you know, you kind of get the feel who who you like hanging out with. And uh, one of my closest friends is James Conner, but James Conner from Pittsburgh, so like he had he already, he was already established here, you know, the past four years going to pit going to pit. And for me, it was like, man, I'm here alone, don't have nobody. I was like, I'm gonna get a French bulldog. So I actually got a dog when I first came in. Um, and you know, ever since then, like I've just been all about him, man. He's awesome, man. And I come home to to him, and he's no matter what what how no matter what mood I am in, he's always happy and just excited to see me. Has it been at all strange in the time of COVID when you're not supposed to go out as much? And you know, you guys as football players this year have some restrictions. You can't go to restaurants. You can't go out at night. You can't do all this stuff. So I'm wondering, does Bougie sometimes look at you and say, hey, you know, it's okay. You can leave me alone sometimes. I'm all right. I'm 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 secure. I mean, does he wonder what is this guy doing here all the time? Yeah, nah, it's definitely weird when you wake up and, and uh, you know, we're on COVID protocol and we have, you know, meetings at home. Uh, usually I get up at like 7, 730, take him out and, you know, I go about my day and I, and I leave around 8. And I start my day at 8.30. But here, I wake up at like 8, and I am I stay home until 11. And then we practice from 11.15 uh, to 2, 2, 2 p.m. So he, it's very funny. He like he's like gets up. He looks at me. He's like, why haven't you left yet? <laughs> like, why are, you, why, are you, why are you still here? And then I come home early, too, like an hour early. So uh, for him, I mean, he loves it. He loves being around me. And, you know, as an owner, you know, you know how it feels like. We never want to leave our dogs alone too long. How strange has that been this year where most teams are doing exactly what you say, where instead of, you know, hanging around a locker room all the time and, and hanging around team meetings and, and going out to restaurants or whatever, you basically have to do so many things virtually now, just like we're talking right now. What has that been like for you this year? Um, it, it's, it's so funny, man. Um, you know, coach, he talked about, you know, not having those in-person, you know, calls talking throughout the hallways, you know, talking about, you know, just a little thing, you know, for special teams, offense and defense, you know, throughout the week. And that's something that we miss, but, you know, I think, think about we're virtual, it helps us a lot. You know, it gives us time, you know, to be separated, to stay at home in our own comfortable space, uh, avoiding COVID and also just give us our time to rest our body, get treatment, you know, while we're in meetings, you know, like getting everything that we need to be a hundred percent and to be where, where, where we need to be a hundred percent. So, um, as, as far as like my teammates and how we, how we like it, uh, so far we love it, man. We love the, the protocol. Um, it is what it is. You know, Coach T said, no matter what they throw at us, it is what it is. You know, whether we play or play or not, whether we shut down the facility for five days, we go out there play Sunday. And, you know, and that's something that happened last week. You know, or we, we didn't have Ben for five days. He came out, we played, and won the game. So, uh, like I said, it just honestly, at the end of the day, it, does, it is what it is, and we got to make it work. Has anybody in your locker room yet or anybody on your team said – Oh my God, we could go sixteen and zero. Um, for yes, yes, honestly, uh, I mean it's something that we you know we think about it all the time. Uh, you know, we're six more games in, um, and we have an opportunity to 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 make an impact. You know, not on all sides of the ball, but like I said, just to still a nation history. 
is it something that you think would be a real driving motivation to try to be one of the only teams of all time to go undefeated? Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask you two other things, mainly about sort of your life right now. Um, you've relocated from California to Pittsburgh. And it's like everybody in Pittsburgh, you know, I have family there. Everybody's got a juju story. They've seen you somewhere. You've They've yeah. seen you or heard you about taking a kid to a prom or or just doing things like that. What What is it in your personality that makes you able to just show up in this strange city and very, very quickly just become a part of the fabric of the city? Yeah, man. I, I just think, you know, it's just in my blood that, you know, um, people say out here, you know, he's a blue collar, you know, you work hard. And that's what I did as a rookie, you know, I kept my head down. I did, really didn't make a lot of noise. You know, I did what I was supposed to do in the community and help people out do that. And like, just as out of my, how I am as a person. And then obviously, you know, balling out, you know, doing the dirty work, you know, kind of just making a name for myself and, you know, the city is embracing me. And that's, and that's what I love about it, man. Like, it, literally, it's all sports. You know, I'm a guy from L.A. who comes from a big city, comes to a small city and just dominates and, you know, do what he's supposed to do, do his job, uh, and just embrace and love it. And it's cool because I can go out, you know, anywhere in the city and I'm always loved, whether um, I have the game of my life for fantasy points or whether I have, you know, the, no games, I have no points. You know, the, the, the Steelers nation, they still love me. It's really cool. Can you just show me your sweatshirt right there? Oh, yeah, yeah. It says Bougie. It, it has his, his name on it. And pretty much uh, he had like a Bougie line for his clothing line. It's pretty cool. That's, that's that's insane. That's just you have a clothing line for your dog. Yeah, and people actually were. Like yesterday, uh, I think like we just dropped it uh, this Saturday or this past week. And uh, in Jacksonville, I saw a couple people wearing it. It was so awesome. <laughs> it was so cool. I think the NFL ought to be like, like in college football. Like you go to a University of Georgia game, and you see the Georgia Bulldog. I think that Bougie ought to be the mascot of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He ought to be on the sidelines during your game. Oh, the no, most definitely. He's literally loved. Like people notice him, but even by if he's by himself at the yeah. dog. Juju Smith-Schuster, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. And make sure at noon on Thursday, you're watching that dog show. Who knows? Bougie might get some love. Ah, for sure, man. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate that. And say, say body talk for me. My thanks to Alex Smith, Juju Smith-Schuster. Crazy time around the National Football League, but good of them to give me uh, their time this week. Uh, so I want to urge you to do two things. Number one, watch this dog show on Thursday. I don't know. I'm a sucker for dog shows. I think they're really, really fun. It's the national dog show held in Philadelphia. I think you'll get a kick out of it. And also this week, if you can, take some time and check out the podcast that NBC Sports uh, has, uh, you know, hosts. It's called Sports Uncovered. And the one that's out right now, which is uh, honchoed, hosted by Michelle Tafoya, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. It's called John Gruden, the coach worth trading for. Conversations with Gruden, Derek Brooks, our own Chris Sims, you know, people who have been there, uh, you know, with some great, great stories about John Gruden and how, yes, he really is as crazy as he seems. But anyway, I think you'll enjoy that Sports Uncovered um, with the guy right now who has done a great job with the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are 6-4 and four as we speak. But I'll tell you what, watching them Sunday night, that is a team that no one is going to want to play in the playoffs this year. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. It's one of the holidays I absolutely love. My wife and I will be celebrating and eating alone this year uh, just because of all the COVID-related things in our country. Our two daughters and their families, one will be in San Francisco, one in Seattle. Uh, we'll miss them, but we're going to be just like Anthony Fauci. 
We're going to connect with them on Zoom during the afternoon to have some together time on Thanksgiving. And I hope you all have a really, really good Thanksgiving, however you celebrate it this year. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Peter King Podcast.